0: Well, hey guys, welcome to Sugar Hill Church Online. My name is Bobby. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Sugar Hill Church. and We are so thrilled you're here today. Now, if you're a regular, if you call this place home, welcome back. In fact, if you don't mind, go ahead and drop a comment below. Say hello to somebody else that you see watching online. Maybe invite a friend even to join even now. But if you're brand new to us, thanks for being here today. One of the things that we say a lot is welcome home. We are so grateful you're here today. In fact, if you swing by the website, sugarhill.church slash guest, sugarhill.church slash guests, we would love to know that you're watching and to send you a free gift just to say welcome home. Well, today I'm thrilled to get to jump in. Pastor Chuck did an incredible job of kicking off this new teaching series called What's Next? And I love that, what's next? What does God have for us Next, And the idea is that everybody has a next step. Whether you've been around faith for a long time or whether you're brand new to faith, there is a next step. There's something that God wants you to do. There's something that you can join him in doing. One of the things we've said a lot over the years is that if we're not dead, then God's not done with us. In other words, if we still have breath in our lungs, there's something God wants to do in us. There's something that God wants to do through us. And the best thing that we can do is to say, God, what is the next thing you want me to do? I love what Moses said in the book of Psalms. Listen to this verse and see if this doesn't encourage you. In Psalm 90, verse 12, he asked this question or he prays this prayer and he says, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This is Moses' way of saying that, man, God, while I'm here on this earth, I want to make the most of every moment. Teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. A heart of wisdom is not just knowing more. A heart of wisdom is not just having more knowledge. A heart of wisdom occurs when we take what we know and we apply it to our lives. And that's when wisdom begins to rise. And the best way I know how to do that is to say, God, what's next? How can I apply What is next for my life? Well, as we begin to think about September 20th here at Sugar Hill Church, we're thinking about regathering and we're thinking about what does that look like with COVID and moving exclusively online for these last six months? What does next look like, not just for us as individuals, but what does it look like for us as a church, both a local church and part of a global church as well? I said before on this broadcast that when COVID first hit, I saw it as just this little interruption. I thought, man, we're going to get back to normal in two or three weeks. And then later I I, I realized this is not just an interruption. This is a disruption, meaning that things are going to be different from now on. And now when we start thinking about the season we're in, people are asking the question, how do we get back to normal? Or what does the new normal look like? Or what does it look like for the church to reopen? And I get all that. I mean, who, who doesn't want to get back to normal if normal means I don't have to wear a face mask when I'm getting my hair cut? Who doesn't want to get back to normal when you think, man, I don't want to walk into a restaurant and wear a mask for 10 seconds and then get to my table and then I have to take it off? Who doesn't want to get back to normal where you don't worry about the aisle police at the grocery store that are going to yell at you if you're going the wrong direction? I, I get the idea that we wanna get back to normal. But here's what I know and here's what I believe about the church. One is that we're not reopening because the church never closed. I mean, the church has been alive and well and doing the work of the ministry. I've been using the phrase number two, regathering. And I, I like that better than reopening, but the truth is we've had people gathering throughout the season. What I really believe is that instead of reopening or regathering, what's next for the church is a resetting for us to get back to being crystal clear of what the church is all about. In fact, I'm reminded of what the late, great evangelist Billy Graham said. Back when the Cold War was going on with Russia, Billy had spoken to crowds and some of his conservative friends uh, pushed back on them. They didn't think he took a strong enough stance. They didn't think he was bold enough. And they said, Billy, you're gonna set the church back 50 years. You're gonna set the church back 50 years. And here's what Reverend Graham responded with. Reverend Graham said, I am deeply ashamed. I've been trying very hard to set the church back 2,000 years. And so when we ask this question, what's next for the church? I don't want us to go back six weeks. I don't want us to go back six months, six years, or even 60 years. I believe God's given us this unique moment in time to hit reset and to get back to be crystal clear of what God has called us to do. And so today I want to invite you, Let's look together. Let's take a peek into the early church and to ask the question, what is next? Not just for me personally, not just for my family, but what is next for this local church and the global church and what God has called us to do. Let's take a moment and to focus our hearts and then we'll come back and we'll look at four big things that I believe God is doing as he resets the church. Thanks for being here today.
1: You know, our foundation doesn't have to be shaken by circumstances or things that come our way when it's built upon Jesus. Can I get an amen from somebody? Um, The song, it it talks about that. It's called We Will Not Be Shaken. It's a new song for us, but we would love for you to sing it out with us today. And uh, it's pretty easy. I think you'll catch on pretty quickly. Through His unfailing love We will not be shaken We will not be shaken We will not be shaken Yeah, sing that out We trust in our God And through His unfailing love We will not be shaken. We will not be shaken. We will not be shaken. against him will fall for our God is stronger he can do all things yeah. no higher name we can call for Jesus is greater we can do all things yeah. all those
2: against him will fall for our God is strong.
0: love it when we're able to lean in and worship and to focus. I'm so grateful you're here today. As we think about what God's doing in the church, we've said it's not a reopening. Why? Because the church never closed. It's not just a regathering, though that's essentially part of it. It really, we believe, is a resetting, that God's given us this unique moment in all of history to be able to hit pause and to say, how do we make sure we're crystal clear on what God has called us to do? And I can't think of a better example of how to look at this than in Acts chapter 2. If you know what happens in Acts chapter 2, Jesus has died on the cross. He was placed in the tomb. Three days later, he came back to life with resurrection life. Over the next handful of weeks, he was seen by hundreds and hundreds of people. And then he returned to heaven. And when he returned to heaven, he commissioned his disciples to say, hey, now you're the light of the world. Take this message out. And in Acts chapter two, we begin to see the birth of the early church. In fact, Peter, one of the people that had denied Jesus three times that he knew him was restored by Jesus himself. And in Acts chapter two, he stands up and he preaches a powerful message. This man that was so flawed, this man that had turned his back on the one person he said he would never betray, now is restored. He stands up in the power of the Holy Spirit. He preaches this one message and 3,000 people give their lives to Christ. Think about that. 3,000 people, bigger than my hometown, gave their lives to Christ. It was so powerful. There are several things that come right out of Acts chapter two as we think about what is next for the church and what does it look like to reset? And the first one is this, number one, the church that is reset, number one, is convinced of the uniqueness of the Messiah. Convinced of the uniqueness of the Messiah. Listen to what happens in Acts chapter two. Peter wraps up this powerful message and he says in verse 36, therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain. He's like, remove all doubt remove any shading, remove any question marks. He says, let the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now think about how powerful that line is. He's talking to this crowd that's around him. And he says, you remember Jesus? Not just any person named Jesus, but remember the Jesus that a handful of weeks ago you crucified, this Jesus is both Lord and Christ. What made the difference in that early church is who they believed Jesus to be. Think about this. When Peter's preaching this message, he was preaching this message to a crowded spiritual stage. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of false worship going on. In fact, many of you have probably been overseas and many of you have probably visited Rome at some point. If you've ever been to Rome and you've ever been to places like the Pantheon, you begin to see that there are these places of worship set up for all kinds of false idols, all kinds of false gods, all kinds of false worship. Well, this is going on even in Acts chapter two, there's this crowded stage and Peter stands up in the middle of that crowded stage and says, there is one person that changes everything. He says, this Jesus is both Lord and Christ. I love that. The word Christ is the New Testament version or the Greek version of the Old Testament word Messiah. Throughout history, they were looking forward to one day the Messiah would come, one day the Redeemer would come, one day the Rescuer would come. And Peter's saying, that person, that's Jesus. He's Christ and he's Lord. That word Lord, Kyrios is a word that means that he's the one that is ultimately in charge. And so as Peter is preaching this message, he says, this Jesus is not just a normal guy, This Jesus isn't one solution among many solutions. He says Jesus is the only one that can change your life and affect your eternity. He's both Lord and Christ. Christ meaning that he's the one that can carry our burdens. He's the one that can bring healing and wholeness. And he's Lord, meaning he is in control of everything. And this is important for us today. As we think about the reset that God's doing, life change truly happens based on who we believe Jesus to be. Today, if you're wrestling with internal change, today if you're wrestling with what does God have for me and what is next, a lot of people try to change from the outside in. They try to clean up their behavior. They try to clean up their acts. They try to look good on the outside. The problem with that is that outside in change rarely lasts or it never lasts. True change starts on the inside when we realize who Jesus is. They were convinced of the uniqueness of the Messiah. Now, I know that you know this, but when we say Jesus is the Christ and we talk about Jesus Christ, we're not not saying that Christ is his last name. In fact, I grew up with a family member. I won't say his name so I can protect the guilty, but I grew up with a family member, uh, around a family member, that was creative. Let's just put it that way, creative in the words that they used. Now, I was in the military for a number of years. I heard a lot of cussing in my day, but this relative of mine took it to a whole nother level. He was inventive in the words that he'd come up with. And sometimes he would act like Christ was the last name of Jesus. Now, I know that y'all know this, but let me just break it down just to be crystal clear. Jesus is not his first name and Christ is not his last name. Jesus didn't come from the Christ family. Right, There wasn't Mary and Joseph Christ. It wasn't the Christ family. They didn't have a little mailbox and a welcome home kind of thing in front of their house. Welcome to the Christ family. Jesus is actually his name and Christ is his title. And again, this is the Greek version of the Old Testament word Messiah. His title or his position is he is the one that they look forward to. He's the one that was promised that would make blind eyes see and deaf ears hear again and and lame people be able to walk and most importantly, dead hearts come to life. And so as we think about resetting, it starts with number one, being convinced of the uniqueness of the Messiah, who is Jesus. Number two, they were compelled by a universal mission. They were compelled by universal mission. So listen to the way Peter describes this. It says in verse 37, now when they heard this, when this crowd of people heard this, it says they were pierced to the heart and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? In other words, that's their way of asking the question, what's next? What's next? What shall we do with this message? Verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent, And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Think about this mission. Think about the way Peter talked about this. 3,000 people are giving their lives to Christ and yet he doesn't stop there. He is intentional to talk about this universal mission. He says, this gift is for you. So the people in the crowd It's for your children, the next generation that's going to come. And it's for everybody that's even far off as many as the Lord God will call to himself. Here's the mission. He says, anybody can come. Anybody can come. Anybody can come to Jesus. This message isn't just for today. This mission isn't just for this crowd. This mission isn't just for those that are right here in the center of this. He's saying it's for you, it's for your children, it's for those that are far off. He's saying this mission is universal. I think it's based on this idea that everybody's going to spend forever somewhere. Everybody's going to spend forever somewhere. Everybody has a soul and everybody's going to spend forever in eternity, either in heaven, connected with God himself or in hell, separated forever. And so as we think about regathering, we think about resetting. That's the kind of mission we have to carry with us. One of the things that's easy to do is the longer that you're around the mission is to take the mission for granted to think about, well, that's important in my life or it's important in my family's life. But for these early believers and for us, there's gotta be the sense of urgency that this mission is for everybody, that everybody's gonna spend forever somewhere. So while we have time to say, how can we reach those that are far off? Just a few weeks ago, one of the bittersweet moments recently is that my grandmother passed away. And I say it's bittersweet, because obviously we're going to miss her. We'll miss her like crazy. I have so many amazing memories with her, but at the same time I'm happy for her. She was 92, she's bedridden for the last two years, been in a nursing home, and with COVID, hard to, hard to go see her. But every time I talked to her, whether it was COVID, she'd ask the question, "Do you think Jesus is coming soon?" Or whether it's politics, "Hey, do you think Jesus is coming soon?" Or crime in her community? "Hey, do you think Jesus is coming soon?" And as she's asking that question, it's like, yes, I think he's coming soon. But until he comes, we can't stop the mission. Until he comes, we can't just sit back and say, well, bless God, he's coming one day. There's got to be this sense of urgency to say this message and this mission is for everybody. And that's one of the reasons why I love being here at Sugar Hill. That's one of the reasons why I love what God is doing in and through this church. Whether you realize it or not, this mission is bigger than you and I. Just think about this. On any given week, we have people joining us for Sugar Hill Online from Beaufort, Georgia, Swanee, Atlanta, Flowery Branch, Cumming, Tequila, Duluth, Lawrenceville, Brazelton, Snellville, Gainesville, Norcross, Big Creek, Athens, Oakwood, Loganville, Auburn, Jefferson, Winder. Think about outside of it, of the state: El Paso, Texas; Greenville, South Carolina; Columbus, Georgia; Alpharetta, Daphne, Alabama; Jackson Square, Georgia; Covington, Lilburn, Houston, Hickory, North Carolina; Apple Valley, Georgia; Mobile, Alabama; Chatsworth, Georgia; Memphis, Tennessee. Peachtree Corners, Monroe, Lake Lanier Vista, Tampa, Florida, Lutz, Florida, Riverside, California, Mabledon, Georgia, Habersham Hills, Georgia, Hornell, New York, Houston, Texas, Hartwell, Georgia. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Palm Coast, Florida, Hampton, Georgia, Madison, Georgia, Maysville, Georgia, Macon, Georgia, Quitman, Georgia, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, Bethlehem, Georgia, Monet, Missouri, Germantown, Wisconsin, Olive Branch, Mississippi, and yes, Sugar Hill, Georgia. And think about it. I mean, obviously, we have a lot of people here in the U.S., but on any given week, we have people from Nigeria, Mexico, Germany, the Caribbean, India, Spain, Brazil, Botswana, the Philippines, Kenya, Pakistan, Nicaragua, Canada, Chile, Nepal, Puerto Rico, Latvia, Malaysia, and Colombia. Isn't it amazing to think, even if you've been around Sugar Hill your whole life, isn't it amazing to think that little old Sugar Hill has a reach far beyond the city? And I love that. This mission is universal. This mission is bigger than us. So they were convinced of the uniqueness of the Messiah, They were compelled by universal mission, but number three, they carried with them what I would call an upsetting message. They carried with them an upsetting message. And what do I mean by that? Listen to what Peter says as he's preaching this message. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? What's next? Verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent. Now this message rocked their world. This message was crazy to them. He's speaking at this moment primarily to Jewish people and they were proud of being Jews. They were proud of being God's chosen people. They were proud of their heritage and to say to them, repent was a big deal because the word repent literally means a change in direction. It means you must Turn your direction. You must change your mind. That Greek word metaneo literally means to repent, to turn, to change of purpose, to turn from your old way and turn to God. This was upsetting to them. And as he's preaching this message, this would have rocked them because they would have thought, well, I'm a Jew, so I get in automatically. They would have thought I I have this rich heritage of being from God's chosen people. So I get in automatically. But instead, Peter says, no, the way that you connect with the message of Jesus isn't by trying harder. It isn't by trying to clean up your act. It's not trying to do the next latest self-help thing. The way that you connect with God, your heavenly father, is by seeing who Jesus is and turning from your sin and turning to him, repenting, changing your mind changing your attitude, walking away from the old and turning to him. And here's what's so powerful about the way they preach this message. This message was inclusive. In other words, Peter said, anybody can come. I mean, it doesn't matter your background. If you grew up close to God or far away, in church or out of church, near Jesus or far from Jesus, whether you have public sin or private sin, anybody can come. It was inclusive. Anybody can come. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your pedigree. It doesn't matter your zip code. It doesn't matter what part of the globe you're on. Anybody can come. It's inclusive. But at the same time, it was exclusive. Because what Peter would say is anybody can come, but when you come, you must come through Christ. In other words, you can't pick your own way to God. In other other words, you can't come up with your own agreement with God. That the exclusive message is this, that when you come, you come through Jesus. And man, this is probably one of the more troubling parts of the message for even people in our day and age. A lot of people confuse remorse with repentance, Remorse is when we have sin in our life and we're found out and we're like, man, I'm sorry, we're remorseful. I I didn't wanna get caught. But true repentance is different than that. True repentance is I'm brokenhearted that I've broken the heart of God. I'm brokenhearted that I've hurt what God is up to. And so instead of remorse, repentance is I'm gonna turn from my sin and I'm gonna turn to him. That is an upsetting message, but it's so powerful. Because as Peter says this, he says, repent each of you and be baptized. In other words, don't be private with your faith. Don't be a secret follower of Jesus. Don't be one of these people that is what we would call a secret disciple. Be somebody that turns to him publicly. I was thinking about this, that that oftentimes this message is troubling because a lot of people try to find satisfaction their own way. They try to find fulfillment their own way. And they take all the stuff the world shoves their way and then they find themselves still feeling empty. Uh, for years, I, I, I'm a bit of a health geek in that I love... Reading about things that are going to help you feel better, uh, be more energetic, do more stuff, and for years I would take supplements. I would take these vitamin packs that promise all these things. They're like they're going to give you greater focus, and it's going to help you maintain weight control, and it's going to give you energy. And I'd read all of the the things that it was supposed to do for you, and I would take these things multiple times a day, thinking this is going to help, this is going to help, this is going to help. Well, one of the things that was going parallel with that is that I've been a long time migraine sufferer for 20 plus years. I've dealt with migraines and it wasn't until just a couple years ago. I began to realize that some of the things I was taking that promised focus and clarity and great health and feeling better were some of the things that were actually triggering migraines that were debilitating. And I had to figure out that the thing that I thought was going to help was actually hurting. I think that's true in our day and age when it comes to spirituality and it comes to our connection with God. Sometimes the things that we think are gonna help us to feel contentment, fulfillment, purpose, uh, destiny are the things that are actually keeping us from the message that I need to repent, that I need to turn from my sins and turn to Jesus. Number one, they're convinced of the uniqueness of the Messiah. Number two, they were compelled by this universal mission that it's for anybody, even those that are far off, Number three, they carried with them this upsetting message that anybody can come, but when you come, you come through Christ. And then finally, number four, they changed the world with unusual methods. They changed the world with unusual methods. Let me rattle these off to you. And then I wanna invite you to join me Wednesday night for midweek at 7 p.m. either on our Facebook page or at live.sugarhill.church where I'm gonna break down these six things, but listen to the things that they use. They use teaching. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They used baptism. It says when they re- they, those that have received his word were baptized. They used communion or the Lord's Supper where it says and they devoted themselves to teaching into the breaking of bread and prayer. They used discipline. It says in verse 43, they had this sense of all of the many wonders and signs that were taking place. They used scripture and creeds. It says in verse 47 that they were praising God and having favor with the people and the Lord was adding to their number and they used pastoral ministry. It says in verse 43 that they saw these many wonders, the signs that were taking place through the apostle. These are not things that the world uses, but these are things that the early church used. And again, I want to encourage you to join me Wednesday night at seven as we talk about why these six things are so important. But let me close by saying this, that the small ragtag group of people begin to grow. And as Peter preached this message, thousands came to Christ. And then throughout the book of Acts, the the early church begins to explode. By the time you get to Acts chapter 17, where Paul walks into the city and they look at Paul and his companions and say, these men who have turned the world upside down, they have come here also. The small group of people that were convinced of who Jesus was, that had this mission that was bigger than them, that had a message that was crystal clear to say that when you come, you come through Christ. What began to happen is they applied the six tools of the church that small group of people begin to grow. And what began to happen is those small groups that met in homes got so large that they could no longer meet in homes. And what began to happen is as the influence of the gospel began to spread, the houses of ill repute, the bathhouses of their day begin to empty out places of sin, places of craziness begin to empty out. And those small groups of people that outgrew their homes ended up meeting in the very places where sin used to reign supreme. And when you begin to fast forward a few hundred years, you begin to see the church unstoppable, as we talked about last month, the church unbreakable, the church that never stopped being open, the church that never stopped actually gathering, begin to turn their world upside down. Can you imagine what would happen Can you imagine as we lean into this next season and we ask the question, what's next? Not just for us individually or us as a family, but for our church locally and globally. Can you imagine what would happen if this message took so much root and it got so much momentum behind it? Can you imagine that wherever you're watching from today, that sin would lose its grip and the light of the gospel would be seen and people in our day and age would be able to say, the world has been turned upside down here also. Wherever you are is your Rome. Wherever you're watching from is a place that God wants to change. And it starts with you. It starts with the person saying, I believe who Jesus is. I believe that mission is important, that he came to earth to die on the cross for my sins, your sins, the sins of the world. I believe that anybody can come to him, but they come through him. And the best place to start is by saying yes to him. And so today, if you're watching, my friend, and there's never been a moment that you've taken the next step of saying, Jesus, I wanna turn from my sin and turn to you, I wanna invite you to do that today. If you're watching today and you already know him, maybe during this time of prayer, you would ask the question, Jesus, what's next for me? But let's pray together today. As we pray, I'm gonna pray out loud, but I invite you to pray in your head and your heart. If there's never been a moment that you've turned from your sin, and turn to Jesus. There's never been a moment you've made that, that shift, that repentance. I want to invite you to do that today. It's not really the words that save somebody, but it's the heart behind it to say, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. I know that there's no way I could earn your forgiveness. I know there's no way I could clean it up myself. But I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you're alive today. And as best as I know how, I ask you to forgive me and save me. Rescue me. Help me to turn from my sin to you. And Jesus, would you help me to live it out? If you prayed that part of the prayer with me, the promise of scripture is that you have been saved. If that just happened for you, would you thank him? Would you say, dear Jesus, thank you for salvation? And whether you just prayed that or if you prayed that years and years ago and you know Christ personally, would you pray this part of the prayer with me? Dear Jesus, help me not to settle. Help me not to grow stagnant, but help me to know the next step in following you. For some of you as we're praying, it may be baptism. For others of you, it may be starting a small group, inviting people over to your home. For others of you, it's to re-engage with the church. Somewhere along the way during COVID, you've disconnected and you've, you've strayed away. Whatever that next step is, would you say, Jesus, would you help me to know what's next and give me the courage to take that step? And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love that. We don't have to reopen because we never closed. Regathering is great, but it's not all there is to it. There's a reset. There's something powerful that happens when we begin to say, God, we wanna get back to the basics. We don't wanna go back six months, six years, or 60 years. We wanna go back to the beginning and be convinced of who you are. All of life change happens based on who Jesus is. Thanks for being with us today. We love you.
1: Thank you, church, for joining us today. And thank you, Pastor Bobby, for that great word. If you have any needs or any prayer requests, we would love to hear from you. Email us at prayer at sugarhillchurch.com. Let's continue to lift up our pastors in this amazing church in weeks to come. Have a blessed week, and we cannot wait to see you next time.